Hello, and welcome to an episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. I'm trying to sound, or maybe not trying to sound. Sometimes I know my voice maybe gets a little on the sad side, but this podcast is it's like my version of therapy. It helps me think things through. And if I were just talking about happy things, maybe it wouldn't be interesting. I'm not saying I need to be sad, but I want my episodes to be insightful in some way. Not just for me, but also as a listener. We all have our things. We all have our challenges and hurdles. And everything comes in waves. You know, our insights, our joys, our sadness. You know, we are human. We are not just one thing, right? We're these complicated balls of past and present and trying to figure things out. That includes me, you know, but I was thinking maybe if I were, like I'm thinking of people that I look up to, like Paul McCartney um, or the Coldplay concert I just saw, Chris Martin, like if these people only counted up to 100, I'd be like, oh my God, (laughs) I love how they're counting. They sound so great, (laughs) you know, but (laughs) for this to happen, you have to have a certain level of celebrityness. Is that a word? I don't think so. Here I am, you know, I'm just a chef, a pastry chef. Don't forget that. I'm just a pastry chef at a hotel. And last episode, I talked about having meaning. I am proud of where I've come and what I do. The last few days, it hasn't been too busy, which is always nice because then there's things I don't have to do. You know, like I have to be there and I have to assist my people and make sure things go out for events. But I don't have to stress and I can work on things that I want to work on. You know, so we just got these transfer sheets with the hotel name on it. So I was working with chocolate and that put me back with working with chocolate. And that's the thing, like I'm so happy I'm doing pastries because it's so versatile. I loved my chocolate experience and then I realized these struggles, you know, it took me to finally be able to do it. And then when I do it, the whole world falls apart with COVID. You know, it was just such a crazy time. But I learned so much. And then I was tempering milk chocolate and I thought, damn it, <laughs> what's the temperature I have to temper it to? I'm like, okay, that's right. Like, you know, it, it takes me a second. Same with any temperature, like if you're cooking custard, oh, what is the temperature again that, you know, a la nap goes to? I'm like, okay, that's it. You know, so, and that's when you're cooking like creme anglaise. You thicken it to a certain point. Typically, I don't go by temperature. I go visually with a spoon till it thickens on the spoon. And then you put your finger through it and do a line. And if the line runs, then you have to cook it some more. If it doesn't, it's ready. You know, just little tricks like that. With everything you make, there is a technique. There is, you know, things you look for. The health department is coming in a couple days. So I had to make sure everything's dated. Everything's, I mean, everything is dated, but triple check and my staff knows me I mean I think they do to you know because I talk maybe I talk too much I'm always talking about hiking how they think I'm crazy because I hike on my own and I like it but it is dangerous I mean it definitely can be 
So I was hiking yesterday. I came from work. I left a little earlier. And I'm like, I'm so tired. Let me lay down and nap. But then when I'm home, which is like a three-minute bike ride, like it took me three minutes to realize, oh, no, I feel great. Let me see the sunset from a mountain. And then I have an hour to do that. And, you know, Aspen is small. It's not like I have to drive an hour to get to somewhere. I'm already there, nature-wise. You know, it doesn't take me long to get somewhere beautiful. That's why I love being here. I thought, okay, like Independence Pass is going to close soon because it's fall, the leaves are changing, and there was like a first snow on top of the mountain. And I'm like, no, my plants, I have to bring in all my plants. Like literally my apartment is a jungle. I have two windows in my whole apartment because it's kind of railroad style. So in the front, I have a living room and I had to pull up my couch a little bit from the window because all my plants from the front garden have to fit there. And, you know, every year I'm like, oh, let me buy this one. Let me get this one. It'll be fine. It took me an hour to fit everything into the front. Like, it's not just standing it up and placing it correctly. It's placing it by the centimeter correctly. Like, I have to place it on rocks to, so everything gets light. I have to put up my lights, like my plant lights, so that everything still grows and doesn't die because the amount of light I get is minimal. So all year round, I have these plant lights in my windows and then I'll have neighbors be like, what's with the light in your window? You know, and I feel like they think I'm some sort of pot grower or something, but I'm not. I'm just trying to keep my ferns alive. I had to place everything right behind my couch in front of the window because that's where my plant lights are and it's crazy looking like I'm I'm talking to my plants as I'm doing it like I'm sorry guys you know I just want you to survive because if I leave you out tonight you're not gonna like it you know because now it's 32 degrees it's like started being a freezing level at night so I had all these sunflowers that I grew from seeds outside in my backyard, and they got huge, but it took them forever to finally bloom. I'm like, please bloom before you can't anymore, you know? And some of them I had just cut off. So I have all these vases everywhere with sunflowers because I don't want them to die. Like, everything's just going to die, you know? <laughs> like, that's the sad thing about a long winter. And so, yeah, I'm preparing for that. But as I'm doing it, the views are really beautiful. Like just the leaves changing, the colors. It is so beautiful. And especially coming from San Diego, where I spent a few days, you know, there's no seasons. Like it's, it was foggy in the morning and then perfect weather the rest of the day. It cooled down a little bit at night because you're on the ocean. But there's palm trees, you know, it's just, it's like such a different world. And then I talk about that to my assistants at work. You know, I'm like, my, my plants are dying, I have to bring them inside, like, I don't want winter, you know, and I'm talking about this. So I have an assistant who actually thought of me when he saw the first dusting of snow on the mountain. He's like, oh, Chef Cat won't like this. <laughs> you know, so, so yeah, maybe some things I overshare. You know, I'm with these people for like 8 to 12 hours a day. If I'm just silent all the time, like, I can't. That's boring. 
I want to be a real person. Like, okay, I am a real person. But you know how at work, there's different environments. Like when I was in Switzerland, everybody did their job. You know, they talked sometimes. I wouldn't say it was a fun environment. Like people did their jobs, they did it well, and they focused on that. And some people can work and talk at the same time. And I can, and some people can't. You know, so then I'll talk to my assistants and if they stop what they're doing and talk, I'm like, okay, keep, keep going, keep going. Like work and talk. <laughs> you know, so like, I have to still be the manager. It can't be like social time because things have to get done. But I'm trying to keep a medium of, oh, this isn't like a crazy strict environment. Like I'm still going to do my work and I have to do it well. But within that, you know, I can talk. And now I started doing the gingerbread house, which is down in the basement, um, the side project in the carpentry room. So that has to be covered because the carpentry room is active and they are constantly sawing wood. Like that's where my gingerbread house goes. I don't get an actual like conference room or something like that, which I understand because this is a big project. It takes a while and, and there's like icing sugar and candy. But still, you know, I'm always like, oh, yeah, she's fine. Just put her put her in the basement <laughs> it's fine <laughs> among everything going on just work-wise like I feel good even though I did feel a little bit out of sorts the past few days because I'm trying to plan for the trip to Peru we have one more week left of work which by the time you hear this you know it'll all be over I don't know why and this might be random but this is what I do I talk about random things I shaved my legs yesterday <laughs> and sometimes I don't do it for a while, you know, especially, I mean, like nobody's going to see my legs. So, and it's winter. I was like, okay, let me shave my legs. I get out of the shower and then I realize, damn it, I only shaved one leg. Like, what is wrong with me? Like, <laughs> has anyone ever done that? Like, you just shave one leg. And then you're like, yeah, I'm good. <laughs> and then you get out of the shower and you're like, what? I forgot this whole leg? <laughs> what? So there's that. And then last night I made salsa. So, you know, I've been talking about these plants that I've grown. I have jalapeno. I grew my own tomato. I have blonde bell peppers. I don't want them to go bad before I go to Peru. So I, I thought, okay, let me make some salsa. So I decided to char the bell pepper and the onion and the jalapeno for extra flavor. But what I didn't realize is my whole apartment smelled like onion. But when you're in it, you know, you don't really smell it. And I aired out a little bit, but I wake up this morning and I go to body pump class and I smell like onion and I didn't even realize I'm like great I smell like onion like what I don't know I just felt like damn it I have to air out my apartment better like I can't I can't have my clothes smelling like onion every time I cook and the thing is I don't want to air it out so much right now because it's cold and this has nothing to do with onion but speaking of weird moments so like this happened before the summer <laughs> this is um I went on a date you know, this is like what well, my podcast is, right? It's all just random dates. But this was a while back. So I feel like I can talk about it now because I was thinking about it because the onion. <laughs> and I was on this date 
and I'm talking, you know, he's looking at me and I smell something. And I was like, did this guy just fart? And I'm like, what the hell? Like on the first date? Like who does that? (laughs) Right? And I just continue. I'm like, okay, I'm going to ignore this. We go on a second date. Same thing. And I smell it. And and I was like, damn, like he really doesn't care. Like he's just, he's just letting it rip, right? And then I said, is everything okay? Like, you know, basically he could tell that I meant that. And then he continued to talk about, he was in a snowboarding accident and basically like his lower spine and butt, like he had lost his feeling. He doesn't know when he has to pass gas, which is terrible. Like that's awful. But here I was thinking, I didn't even know the situation, you know, and here I was thinking, damn, like, what's what's he doing? (laughs) But anyway, I thought of that randomly, you know, when I was like, oh, I didn't air out my house (laughs) because of onion. What I found is no matter what men, they've got this confidence. And even with this condition, I'll call it condition. He was like super confident, which I'm not saying he shouldn't be, but I feel like not everyone's going to be okay with this, that you're trying to date. You know what I mean? Like, especially up until that point that you explain it. But he was so confident and like picky. (laughs) You know, I feel like with women, if they have an issue or condition, like something you can't help, maybe they're more self-conscious about it. I don't know. But this guy was still super confident. And even some people I told about it, they were like, no, I I wouldn't be able to date him. Like, that's not okay. Which I really didn't see an issue. Like, it didn't really bother me. But even with that, he was just overly confident. And that's the thing with men is, I feel like they're just confident all the time, outwardly. And then even if they have a condition, it doesn't phase them. And I'm thinking, you should maybe not be that confident because again, he didn't want a relationship and then he would never like reach out to me or message me only if I messaged him. And then I'm like, no, I don't want this. And then he messaged me back all like A-W. And then I never heard from him again. Like what the hell? (laughs) You know, and I'm thinking, fine like go find somebody else with your condition like see if they're okay with it geez then I was talking to a good friend of mine I hadn't talked with her for like I guess five weeks and we've been friends for over 24 years and I tell her like my latest stories and then she's like you should write a book and I was like no I already have a podcast you just have to listen to it (laughs) I didn't say that you know, I don't want to put pressure on the situation. But yes, I always have something to talk about. I've been wanting to talk about my family's past. Because it's interesting. But I don't know necessarily if I knew how to really put it in the mix. But now I do. <laughs> so it's my mom's... I don't know, it sounds... What's the, what's the right word? I guess the anniversary of her passing is coming up. Well, she died five days before her 70th birthday. I sent her this package of just small things she never opened. She believed if you opened packages before your birthday, it's like bad luck. And then you don't have anything to open on your birthday. I'm like, I get a package 
I'm like, I'm going to open it right now. Like, <laughs> because it gets me excited for my birthday. See, this is like different, different logic here. And I guess the people most important to you, that's always going to be there, right? Like, oh, this is when they passed. And I remember that moment. You know, I'm not saying I need to like rehash all this, but see, my voice is like, oh, now she's getting sad. Um, obviously, God, but I remember that moment I was in New York and my brother called and told me that she passed. And it was like, it was just a surreal thing, you know, and I recently saw this movie. I'm just going to switch it. This woman had a fiance, but he died. You know, it's not like he broke up with her. Um, <laughs> he died and she would listen to his voicemail and just leave him messages because she felt like it was comforting to leave him messages. But this is the part of the movie I don't quite understand. Like she would continue to leave messages, but meanwhile, the number went to a new person, right? Like the person died and Verizon's like, and, and give this number to somebody else. And so she's leaving messages on this new person's voicemail. And I guess maybe it's an automated voicemail, you know, like when when you've reached the voicemail, it's like a computerized voice and it says, you've reached da-da-da, you know, please leave a message. Like maybe it's that, because that would make sense. Because obviously if her fiance is recorded on there, like that is not realistic, right? Because now a new person has the number. I don't know if you're following me, but... And in the beginning I would call you know, to see, I'm like, oh, is the voicemail still there? You know, just to hear her voice. Obviously, when my dad called Verizon, you know, to stop the payment, change the line, you know, obviously, I know, okay, I'm not going to call now, right? Like somebody else now has this number. Even though I still use it to get savings at like natural grocers. Because I don't know any numbers by heart except for hers. So whoever has her number now, they're signed up at Natural Grocers and, and certain other um, programs like a CVS or something, like discount programs. You know, so if they ever use their number, they're like, oh, I'm sorry, you already have an account. <laughs> and this is funny because I never thought of it. Because if I go to CVS, I use her number because she would always have like these points added up. So I'd save a few dollars. I was stealing her points. That's what I was doing at CVS and the same at Natural Grocers, you know, because <laughs> when I lived in Arizona with her, I would go shopping and I would just use her number, you know, for all these places. And I think with most family members and I, you know, and it, it's not even like that because the relationship with her was complicated for me. She was my mom. She was my best friend. At the same time, it was complicated. You know, and I've talked about this, but there was an expectation she had of me that I'm just always there and I can't be like, hello, you know, like, you know, she started feeling not well certain times or she'd have accidents and injure certain things, you know, and then she would expect me to be there and help her. And the big thing was as a child, when she had a major car accident, you know, and she like clinically died when I was seven, you know, that was life-changing for her and, and me. 
I was basically told she died twice, and both were traumatizing. <laughs> like, you know, you don't you don't really think you're going to hear it more than once. But it was after that first car accident that I took care of her at age seven, made food, cleaned, washed her, and just basically helped her. And when I had a midlife crisis, you know, when I left LA to drive to Arizona because I just left my horrible ex-husband, I went through like the darkest, the lowest time of my life. And she got me through it, she did. So there was like this, it's just a connection, you know, it's just like this deep connection. Like she knew me and I knew her. I mean, yeah, she knew me, she gave birth to me. <laughs> which she never let me forget because I'm the youngest I have two older brothers she kept talking as if you know I was like the light at the end of her tunnel you know like she had two boys and she just wanted a girl so when I was born she would lay out with me like in the sun because I was born in the summer we both burn like she burned a lot and I burned so Obviously, she had a son umbrella. I, maybe you're thinking about SPF. <laughs> so, like, you know, but she would always tell me how I would put my hands around her, around her neck, and like cuddle her, and that she was just so happy. And as I'm talking, I see I still have kefir out fermenting, and I'm like, crap, I needed to put that in the fridge. Like, it's been sitting out way too long on my heating mat. <laughs> but. <laughs> Yeah, my mom would just say how, like, no matter when she told that story, it would just make me cry. Certain things are always gonna make me cry. Like, if if I think about the pets, see, and I'm talking about it, like, <laughs> but if I think about, like, pets I've had and and just my mom, like, those are, like, totally, I'm I'm done. Like, those are things I'm gonna make me cry. It was a complicated relationship, you know, because... As much as I wanted to be there for her, I would be. You know, I would feel this guilt if I wasn't because of our connection and just everything we've been through. So much moving. Now I go and do the same thing. I'm constantly moving. And that's probably just because of, as a kid, we did it so much. You know, and I don't know what the discussions were with my parents you know, and all I knew is, okay, we're moving. I'm like, what? Why? What? I just didn't understand. But I have to pack everything up. And and that was traumatic, too, just to move so much. She was my biggest supporter. When I believed I couldn't do something, she'd be the voice of reason and be like, yes, you can. Like, just go do it. You know, and she was there to lift me up through my divorce, through one of the worst times of my life. She was there for all the horrible things as well as all the amazing things, all the successes in my life. You know, and she was always the main supporter of that. That's why when there were things that she didn't want me to do or didn't think would be a good idea, it was so hard for me to then actually do them. Like I still did them because I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like this is my life. Older people, are wise, right? Like that comes with age. But just because they're older doesn't mean they're wiser. I mean, I would say, yes, she was. And, you know, parents want to protect you from mistakes maybe they've made or things they've experienced. 
you know, they don't want you to go through the same thing. But that's it. We have to go through it ourselves. And what she saw isn't what I saw. And I was determined to do these things. For example, when I moved to Palm Springs and I worked at a hotel there, when I went to Switzerland, that was right before COVID, and it's one of the best things I could have done. And when I moved to Palm Springs, like, I loved it. I loved my apartment. I loved my life there because it was the first time that I lived by myself ever. I had a pool, I had a grapefruit tree. I don't know, it was just like, it was the first time that I felt this is my freedom. But she didn't want me to move there. She didn't think it was a good idea. And whenever I didn't have her support, it was hard for me because she'd always find a way to bring it up. Like, oh, you left. And I would feel guilty, you know? So it was a complicated relationship in the sense that when she didn't support me, it was a struggle. You know, I just wanted her blessing. That's it. It was when I came back to the U.S. from Switzerland and she keep bringing up, but then you left. I'm like, yes, and I'm glad I did because I would have been jobless during COVID. I would have been in the house. I would have been back to square one. This way I gained all this experience. Now I have all this knowledge and I'm proud of that. You know, I'm proud of my determination to follow through. If nothing else, I have that, you know, and nobody can take that from me. I just wanted her blessing for that. And it was when I came back that she's like, you know, you're right. You did a good thing. <laughs> and it's like those few words, like, geez, really? Like it took you this long to finally admit it? It took you this long to say that? And that's like the hardest thing from people that you just want a few words from, you know? It's like, I support you, I love you. Like, these simple words, they mean so much. If you can say that to somebody, if you have somebody that you're there for and that you love, like, just tell them. When I was at the Coldplay concert, Chris Martin, he's like, if you have somebody in your life, just tell them you love them. Just tell them. <laughs> but he said it. He said it so nicely. And I just love his voice. He's so good. It was such a good show. And I have to um, like pre-advance this show because I'll probably be in Peru at the time this episode goes out. And I'm just taking my microphone because once I talked for like 40 minutes and my microphone wasn't even on. And I'm like, damn it. <laughs> damn it. It's on. It's on. So yes, it's... The anniversary, and it's not even, like, that sounds terrible. Anniversary means something you celebrate. And, you know, maybe, maybe I do celebrate it. I should celebrate it. So the date that she passed is coming up. It just always makes me think of just her life. Like, she had a, she had a rough life. Her family life was abusive. You know, my grandfather was abusive to her. She was the oldest. And then her dad, my grandfather, he was a policeman. And at that time, you know, and maybe now, depending on, I'm not sure, but he was abusive at home and he would hit my mom. And then my mom basically had to take care of the household because her mom died when she was 17. So then my grandfather met an, another woman 
who was, my mom kept saying, was the opposite of my grandma. You know, she kept saying, like, she looked ugly. And, you know, she was. <laughs> she was ugly. <laughs> Her name was um, Umgat, which is like this old school German name. It's I-R-M-G-A-R-D. It's such a old, old German name. And my grandfather's name was Horst, which is a typical old school German name. It's it's H-O-R-S-T. And I guess when my mom in the U.S., I think once she crossed the border from Canada to the U.S. and security on the border was asking her about her parents' names. I don't know how that came up, but she said Horst. And he's like horse like his name is horse <laughs> she's like she's like no <laughs> host <laughs> so yeah that's my grandfather's name and he did carpentry on the side he was a carpenter and he built his whole house and it was beautiful it had all these it had all these details in the doors half the wall was wood and he had all these details in the wood, and I remember we would go there as kids growing up to his house, and he was still married to Omgat. They were together till the end of their days. Omgat didn't get along with my mom because Omgat wanted my mom to like continue cleaning, make dinner, like just do everything so that Omgat didn't have to do anything. And my mom wasn't okay with that. So at 17, she moved out. But then growing up, we would visit my granddad in Germany and but they lived out kind of in the middle of nowhere it was very secluded because my grandfather bought land to build his house so yeah I just remember sitting in the living room we were all watching TV and in Germany the commercials are um, graphic definitely more graphic than in England I don't know it was like the soap commercial this German soap commercial and he's like, fa. Like, they have this soap. It's F-A, fa. <laughs> Which is like, I'm thinking fa. You know, like the food, fa. I'm like, okay, no. So there's this German soap commercial, and it's this woman fully naked, just like lathering herself. And I'm sitting there with like my parents, my grandparents, my uncle, you know, my whole extended family, which was rare. I grew up in England, and all of my family was in Germany, on my dad's side and my mom's side. We'd visit a couple times a year, my mom's family, and a couple times my dad's family. So yeah, we're just, this like commercial's on, and I'm thinking, oh my God, she's naked. They're showing that on TV. My whole family's here, what? <laughs> and you know, I'm like eight or nine, like super young, I don't know. And um, and nobody says anything. I'm like, oh, they're not acknowledging. Okay, <laughs> continue. <laughs> we would just run around, like the property all day. There was this big dusty road to get there. We would just be there on bikes all day and and run around the property. We'd be there for a couple days. But I just remember sitting at the table with my whole family. And then looking at all the faces, my mom sitting next to my granddad, my oldest brother, 
sitting next to my mom and someone would say like an inappropriate joke because that's that's what my family did we would just always say inappropriate things at the table and I guess you know my grandfather did too so that's probably where my mom got it from everyone laughed you know people say my laugh is loud but my mom's was louder because she includes like a scream before the laugh and then my granddad's laugh was like the same you know and like this deep loud laugh I don't even remember the joke I mean I was like nine you know but everyone was so happy which was rare and first of all I barely saw my extended family and then I saw my granddad's face you know I totally my mom had the exact same face you know from him and then my oldest brother has my mom's face and it was just it was all family and it was comforting in a sense and I guess how do I explain it like it was comforting because this is this is your blood you know this is where you came from there's so much trauma within this table because of this family but there's also so much joy because you've lived through these things together you've experienced you know the the hard and the good times together and that's where the complicatedness comes in there's so many things that have been unsaid there's so many things that somebody probably should have said and didn't and just knowing my mom's childhood and then sitting at this table and seeing everybody laughing at this one joke they're laughing in this moment but underneath there's so many feelings there's so much i just remember that moment and i understand i understand that now because even though you have all these thoughts and there's things maybe that you'd love to talk about with a family member or that you should have said then or didn't i mean sometimes there's no point to bring things up because you know their reaction and you know it's not going to lead to anything so if there's a moment of happiness if there's a moment that everybody can have their good side maybe that's all you need it doesn't always have to lead to conflict and it's like at work you know you pick your battles it's the same with family you pick what you're going to talk about to at least have a good day versus a fight or an argument my mom was from east germany which she'd always talk about you know she left when she was young they left illegally there was a war <laughs> which nobody can forget ever and they shouldn't you know i'm just saying every country has its wars and, and evil after the war you know the berlin wall was built germany lost like us army all these bases were built within germany and it was basically these other countries were watching germany saying you cannot create any more weapons because they've started wars twice there are a lot of us bases within germany and then after the war the berlin wall was built a part of germany went to russia you know part of it the us like the bases were there it was just his arrangement that was made my mom was born in east germany in halle east germany functioned as its own state but there was full sovereignty in the soviet union 
but there was almost full sovereignty from the Soviet Union in 1955. So the Soviet Union maintained troops there. You know, it was Germany, but it was the people that were there, they were captured, so to speak. You know, you couldn't, if you had family in West Germany, you had to fill out a request form that you wanted to visit. You'd only visit for a certain amount of time. It was very official. And if you tried to escape, you know, I mean, I remember we would visit as kids because my mom had an aunt in East Germany that she was really close to, and we would visit her. And I remember driving through and seeing the wall and certain parts of it looked worse than others. Like it would have barbed wire, there'd be a pit like in front of it so that the wall would be taller from one side. There would be guards, you know, so if you tried to escape, you would be shot. It was weird because we just enter this zone and then there's certain parts in Germany where we drive through Growing up, you know, my mom had some friends in Germany. We'd visit, and there would be this part where, during the war, Hitler built these huge, super tall pyramids. It was maybe, like, maybe 12 feet of a base, like 40 feet high. Like, it was just these huge, like, concrete blocks and in a pyramid shape, like this, this really tall, with spikes on the top. You know, so it was like cement and on the top of it it was just spiky and it was this whole field full of these it was in an area where it was right before the wall if I remember correctly and it was basically easy target so if you tried to escape and you were in this field of all these pyramids you know you couldn't climb them if you tried to walk through I mean you get shot and it was easy to find you, you know, so throughout Germany today, like they've tried to cover it and there's soil covering like half of them. But I just remember we'd be driving through and there are parts that you can't miss, you know, just remnants. You know, so my childhood is filled with living in England and eating fish and chips in newspaper <laughs> and eating Indian food and and going to the cliffs and the sea. And then we'd go to Germany for the orthodontist and see family and it was just this mixed world. But my mom escaped East Germany, which was a rare thing. Because the thing is you'd have spies in East Germany. So the government in East Germany would assign certain people to be spies. Basically, if you heard neighbors talking about escaping, if you suspected anybody, you know, you didn't know who was a spy, you didn't know who was watching you. My mom even said that certain neighbors would listen. Like, I'd say if one apartment, if a couple was having an argument, another neighbor would listen through the wall or try to with like a glass against the wall. And I've never tried that. I know, does it work? Like, <laughs> but she was just saying how you never knew. And it was Stasi, like that's what they were called. But you never knew who was a part of that, you know, and who wasn't. So you couldn't trust anybody. And if you thought you had a friend and you said too much, then they would get back to the government and you'd be arrested. 
There were all these instances and stories she would tell. When she was six, I want to say six or seven, so her dad, he was a police officer in West Germany. And I think he was too in East Germany, I don't remember. But he was also a carpenter. So every year, there was this lake where they lived in East Germany. And every year, they had this competition of boats. And my granddad, he made this boat. It was him and my grandma, which, who I never met because she died when my mom was 17 of cancer. And the way my mom described it, it was a quite large boat. But also when you're young, things appear larger than they are. It was my granddad's plan to escape. So what happened was they got on this boat and it was my mom and her brother. My mom was the eldest and her brother was like three, four years younger, something like that. My uncle, who, whose name is Lotha. Another traditional like German name, it's L-O-T-H-A-R, Lotha, but it's not Lother. <laughs> it's, like, it's like the German version of Luther. You know, so he's like four and my mom's seven. And my granddad tells them to go downstairs. There's like a, what do you say? I don't know boat terms, but there's like a lower deck. So he tells him to go below deck. Meanwhile, he built this whole boat. I mean, that's that's pretty impressive. Every year there was this race, this competition. Basically, it was this big lake, and the first one to come around it would get a prize. I don't know what the prize was. Like, nobody cared about the prize. I mean, it was like East Germany. How good is the prize, really? You know, you can't leave the country. There's this part of the lake that's hidden, and it was close to the wall. And I don't know, like, the details of the story. It's like, sometimes you hear stories as a kid, and now I feel like, okay, I need more detail on this story. But now I don't have that detail. <laughs> like, my mom's dead. She can't retell the story. But what happened was they didn't take anything that day because it had to appear normal. You know, they're just on this boat for the race. But meanwhile, their plan was to escape. So they're on this boat, they get to the part of the lake. But then what happened was my granddad told my mom to get out of the boat fast. Because what happened was, you know what? I think this is the part of the story. It wasn't close to the wall. It was this part of the lake was in West Germany. It's almost like you bypass the wall for a small section and then you're back in East Germany. That's what it was. And I guess there were no guards. Like, I don't know, it was like countryside. So when they got to this part of the lake, and he was ahead, like he was ahead with his boat in front of everybody else, that they got to this part of the lake and they went on the side and just like ran for it. You know, my grandma was holding my uncle and my granddad, my mom, and they just like ran for it. And there was nobody on the side of the West German side. You know, all the guards, whatever, were on the East German side. And nobody noticed until it was too late. Like, everybody was waiting because he was ahead with his boat. Everyone that was watching was waiting on the other side who's going to come around. And then all these other boats did. Who knows what happened on the East German side? I mean, did sirens go off? Like, did 
police go looking, because once you were on the West German side, nobody cared. You couldn't get from the East German side to the West German side. So, so that was my mom's childhood. You were German, but now you're on the West German side, and I guess nobody questioned it, you know? So then they just continued living there. And I don't even know, like, do people look for you if you escape? I guess not, because my mom, like, then went to school, like, school for dentistry, like, she was a dentist's assistant. Obviously, later in life, not, like, right after they escaped to West Germany. She would tell me all these horrible teeth stories. So, like, going to the dentist is bad enough. She tells you all these stories, and when you are in occupation, you have all these behind-the-scenes stories, you know, like I do with chefs. But she had it with dentists and how dentists would, like, basically mess up other people's teeth. And I'm like, oh, my God, like, why are you telling me the story? <laughs> like, this makes it even more terrifying to go to the dentist. So she had all this, like, inside scoop information. I'm like, please don't tell me that. And then she worked, and then she met my dad at like, a disco. You know, now it would be, like, a nightclub. But then there were discos, and... She would just always wear mini skirts. And when I was five, that's when we moved to England. But I was born in Germany. And then when we'd visit my dad's mom, so grandma in German means Oma, O-M-A, Oma. But she lived in Blaubeuren, which is the town. So she'd always be grandma from Blaubeuren, Oma von Blaubeuren. So that's when we'd always say, when we referred to my dad's mom, be like, are we visiting Oma von Blaubeuren? And my granddad lived in Rosbach, you know, but he was the only granddad because my dad's dad died when my dad was young. And my dad, he had a rough childhood too. I mean, I guess we all, we all have like a rough childhood, right? Like, we've all got our thing. And then that's what you hear about growing up, is, is how rough their childhood was. But I think following the war and all this stuff, because my mom's mom, she was a seamstress. She would fix up clothing for people, and it was like, a, she did it from home. And she made all the money, and the money that my granddad made, like my mom's dad, he would just spend on drinking and alcohol I was just like what's the point of that you know so they were super poor they probably wouldn't have been you know had he not gone out drinking but they were super poor and my grandma would keep bunnies like rabbits in in the backyard that they would use for dinner I'm like oh my god like this is <laughs> terrible <laughs> like so all the stories were just terrible you know and then my dad was born in Argentina. So after the war in Germany, a lot of Germans left to South America. I'm saying left, you know, purposefully because they probably fled. You know, there were a lot of like suspicious people that were involved in the war. And I don't know how that relates to my family. Again, like my grandma would tell me these stories. And now I'm thinking, ah, uh, Something's weird about your story. <laughs> you know? So my grandma's dad, my great-grandfather, like there was money in my dad's family. My great-grandfather was a chemist 
and he worked for Baya, you know, the company Bayer, there was a good amount of money. And again, I don't know the details of that. <laughs> but then after the war, my great-grandfather and his family, they all moved to Argentina, to um, Córdoba. And my dad was born in Buenos Aires. So he grew up in this large villa, Villa, <laughs> yes, Spanish, and um, which I can't speak. Like, I wish my dad would have spoken Spanish to me because it would have come in real handy right now. I guess I can, you know, always learn it myself <laughs> instead of just restaurant Spanish. He grew up in this large estate, and my grandma's name was Anne Lore, Oma vom Roboren. <laughs> she would visit us in England a few times a year. And she was very gassy. My grandma was very gassy, and she'd always blame it on... Like, I had three dogs growing up, and she'd always blame it on one of the dogs, Sammy. And then she'd, like, tell him off when she would fart. And poor dog... And he would just like lick his nose and know that something was wrong and he got blamed for it. But we all knew it was her. Like it wasn't Sam. It wasn't Sam the dog. Like as kids, again, we'd be sitting in the living room watching TV. My grandma was there and my parents and my brothers. And then she'd blame the dog and we'd just laugh. You know, I'd look at my brothers. And then again, there'd be something on TV where I don't know, couples like making out or they're about to like sleep together. Uncomfortable moments, again. It's so bizarre. Like it's so weird to remember certain things. Her name was Anna-Laure and I forget how she met my granddad. I don't know, but I never met him because I want to say she met him in Argentina. Like she moved with her family to Argentina and I think they were just wealthy. You know, I don't think there was a relation to Nazis or anything like that. But after the war, there was a great depression. You know, obviously Germany was in shambles. So a lot of people left, and especially people that were wealthy. And my grandmother, you know, her family was one of those families. So like she met my granddad. He was transporting something. Like that's where the story is shady. You know, so they're married. They have two kids, my dad and my aunt, Monica. I've been thinking of her more lately because she always had a different boyfriend. And I feel like, is that me? Like, is that me now? <laughs> like, when people would come visit, it would be like my, my uncle and his girlfriend, you know, but it was like a life girlfriend. It was always the same person, you know, but my aunt, when she would visit, there'd be a different guy, like, every time. So what happened was, my granddad, he was transporting something. Drugs? Like, dare I say? I don't know. That See, that's what I don't know. And my grandma, like, this was like a love of her life, you know? So she's, she's constantly telling this story. Like, she told me a few times in England. You know, I'm trying to, like, get to my room and draw or, like, play with Barbies. I would have Barbies and cut off their hair. Like, <laughs> you know, she's trying to talk to me, and I don't really care about her story. But now I'm like, damn, I should have listened better <laughs> instead of wanting to cut off hair off my Barbies. 
So my granddad was transporting, let's just say he was transporting drugs, right? Like some sort of pharmaceutical thing. He had been driving all night. He was super tired. And how does she know this, really? Like, how does she really know this? But what happened was there was, um, and she was saying in Argentina, there were a lot of road barricades. Like, you had to stop and show your ID, and then you continue. But apparently my grandfather was so tired that he didn't stop. Which, okay, like something's off here. Something's off. And he was shot, like through and through. He was shot so much that you couldn't recognize who he was. You just knew who he was from his fingerprints. And that sounds really extreme, right? Like something is off in this story. Like in my head, he was probably transporting drugs and he knew he couldn't stop. But maybe I'm wrong. Like, I don't know. You know, that was the love of my grandma's life. And now she has these two kids. Women with kids were looked at, I don't say negatively, but it wasn't positive, you know, to be a woman with kids and no husband. And especially at that time in Argentina. So my grandma married a second time and this man was abusive. You know, she married, and I just know him by his last name, like Zawalenda. Like, that was his last name. And I don't know all the details. I want to say it was abusive to my dad, you know, but I, again, don't know the details of that. And my grandma had another child, a third child. That was his. But he wanted to leave my grandmother, and he left her, and he took the third child. My grandma never found her again. You know, he took her and he fled to Germany. You know, so technically I have another aunt that I've never met. And I don't know the details of that again. You know, like there's all these like weird stories of family. So then after that, my grandmother was just like a mess. And she moved back to Germany. And then that's a few years later... I guess when my dad was in his 20s, I want to say. That's when she married a third time. And at that time, you didn't marry like that. You didn't marry a lot, you know. But I feel like my grandmother went through a lot. I mean, I know she did, you know. And it's funny because growing up, my mom would say, you know, you look like your grandmother. And I was like, is that bad? (laughs) My grandmother was beautiful. Like, she was really pretty. She was very curvaceous. So I was fully developed at age 10, and my mom would always be like, you look like your grandmother. I was like, that's not something I need to hear, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm like, okay, like, is that good? Is that bad? Like, you say it in a way that it's bad. I don't know. Because my mom did not get along with my grandmother. Because my grandmother had a very domineering streak over my dad. And because of my grandmother, that's the reason my parents moved to England when I was young. I was not born in the hospital. I was born at the house in Germany that they had. And my mom loved that house. So when they moved to England, it was hard. We lived in London for a couple months before they found a house. You know, my mom just always remembered this house in Germany as being the happiest time of her life. She just really loved that house. 
So looking back, when I think of family, like everyone has this traumatic past. We all just try to move through it, continue on, continue on with meaning, right? Or at least that's where I'm at. But sometimes I think if you look through it, like now, you know, I'm older and I understand more. And I realize, yeah, like everybody's had their struggles and traumas. And what do we do with that? You know, do we better ourselves because of it? Or do we succumb to the depression because of it? You know, there's these two sides and it's always this struggle, right, with anything. And what do we do in life to get through it, to get through these struggles? I eat sweets. <laughs> that's my struggle. <laughs> and I happen to be a pastry chef. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> you know, like my subconscious is like, what is the profession I can have that would most likely support my addiction to sugar? Oh, pastry chef, baking. <laughs> no, obviously not. You know, because that's the other thing. I have all these memories of baking and how I got into baking. And that's really because of my mom and growing up cooking. It's just interesting looking back and seeing, like, how did I get here? You know, I got here because my parents made a few of these choices. You know, they made these choices because of their parents. You know, it's like one leads to the next and, and then I make my own choices. And it's like if you look at all these lives the large scale of it. It's kind of crazy. I'm not visiting Argentina. Like that would be kind of full circle, maybe, <laughs> to tell all these stories. But I'm visiting Peru. And this is the first time I'm going to South America, which I'm super excited. And I'm about to book my flight to Cusco, which is where, or close to where Machu Picchu is. But anyway, I'll... I'll keep a journal the way I did in Japan and write down all the weird things that I'm probably going to find and all the pastries I'm going to try. But sometimes I think about my parents and what they experienced and the choices they made. And, you know, and my dad now, like, it's almost been two years since my mom passed. And he's doing really well. And maybe he's happier now, you know, than before. I don't know. It's hard to say because, again, their relationship was complicated. But he is renovating the house that my mom lived in and he wants to sell it and basically retire and move to Montana. I don't know what's in Montana. I guess nothing. Like, he just wants nothing because he's been working his whole life and he basically missed a lot of his life because he was working so much, you know. And that's his story. And maybe this all ties in, you know, they did what they thought was best in that time. The thing is, I wouldn't be who I am if it wasn't for my mom, you know, supporting me. And even when she didn't, like, I found my own determination to follow through. And I'm also stubborn, so that helps. But life is just a series of all these events and all these like family histories and stories. You know, and I treasure those memories. 
The memory of sitting around that table and just my whole family laughing, you know, like those few minutes. That's what I remember. Oftentimes when relationships end, we remember the good times. You know, and if you think hard enough, then all the bad stuff comes up. And then you're like, oh, right, that's the reason it ended. That's the reason I left, you know, things like that. That's the reason it was terrible, you know, but it's on the surface, you remember the happiness and the good times. But that's the point. Like, if you can get through those bad times and make it to those few good times, you know, that's real life. I mean, that's the reality. That's what you want in a relationship. And that's what is so hard to find. You know, so again, just do the best you can. Be there for the people you love because time is fleeting. People grow up so fast. People age so fast. That's life, but it's also the beauty of it. When you have those few moments of happiness, just really be in that moment. You know, it's the hard times that teach us things, right? It's through the struggle that we've gone through that makes us who we are. If everything is just perfect all the time, I mean, I don't know. I, I don't know what that is like. I've had some amazing experiences and some super happy moments and those are more rare than tough times you know and I'm sure you can relate so don't forget those good times don't forget those moments filled with laughter and with the people you love maybe just say how you feel tell those people reach out to them how you feel about them and that and just thank them for being a part of your life. Thank you so much for listening today to an episode of Cat the Baker. I'm Chef KB. Until next time.